Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Now look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. I'm Adam Kempinar. And I'm Josh Larson. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. Okay. That's Frances McDormand in a scene from Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, which is nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture and Director. It's also, if you care to trust the prognosticators, the frontrunner in both categories. This week, we ignore the experts and offer our own Oscar picks, who will win, who should win, and who should have been nominated. Joining us, the Chicago Tribune's Michael Phillips. Isn't Michael an expert? Joining us, Oscar expert Michael Phillips, ahead on Film Spotting. Welcome to Film Spotting. You know, Josh, every year we talk about how much we don't care about the Oscars. I don't even remember the last ceremony I watched. And yet, every year we do this Oscar extravaganza. Are we ever going to learn? And every year I have to remind you, you don't care about the Oscars. I don't yeah. mind them. I've, I've never missed a ceremony, I think, in my life. But but yeah, um, I know it's something we kind of do for the show a little reluctantly, but I think we always have fun. So I'm glad we're doing it again. We do have fun, and the big reason we have fun is because this offers a great excuse to elevate the show, to bring back our friend from the Chicago Tribune, Michael Phillips. Michael, welcome to the virtual red carpet. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor just to be nominated to be here, uh, and it's Michael Phillips Esquire for this night only, please. Of course. <laughs> Tone things <laughs> up. Duly noted. Now, also good timing to bring you on, Michael, we did recently wrap up Film Spotting Madness, Best of the 80s. We have crowned a champion, and regular listeners, longtime listeners know you love Film Spotting Madness. Pitting films against each other and crowning a winner, it's, it's just your favorite thing ever. So I'm going to ask you, before we share with you the winner, do you have a guess? What movie? Which one? Uh, the best film of the 80s. What film did, what listeners, did listeners, listeners? listeners vote for as the best film of the 1980s? And more yes. importantly, Michael, where do you think your just dearly beloved Raiders of the Lost <laughs> Well, I happen to know from various social media that mm-hmm. Raiders was in uh, pretty hot contention, was it not? It was. Yeah. It was. Made the final four. Right. 
It's funny. It wouldn't even have made Spielberg's Final Four, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you know. Okay, we are off to a great No, story. I you mean, it's fine. We'll, Digging that hole deeper. <laughs> we'll save the suspense. We'll let you know which film did eventually win here later in the show. I'm pretty sure you'll be happy about it, Michael. If you want to see how this year's Film Spotting Madness went down, just go to filmspotting.net slash madness. That's where you can find the link as well to the short list for next year's madness. Yes, it's already begun. Michael, it'll be the best of the seven. Yes, yes, that's my decade. There you go. It has to get down to 64 movies. Right now, the short list is at 133 potential candidates to make the big dance and it seems to be growing every day and you clearly should be a consultant yeah i was list. gonna say oh my add god him to the selection committee i mean look i'm the guy who sat literally inside the sensor on speaker in the back of the theater to see earthquake so <laughs> wow i never he was there maybe Maybe you shouldn't be a consultant <laughs> because earthquake earthquake did not come up in any of the what? selection committee's deliberations. Outrageous! Outrageous! <laughs> On behalf of every jo- George Kennedy fan club, I, I'm I'm outraged. I'm outraged. <laughs> this show, though, is about the best films of one year, 2020, kind of, and I guess I'll add allegedly, the Oscar ceremony will be held live and in person on Sunday, April 25th, pushed back from its traditional February date. And this is how out of touch with the Oscars I am until I read this note from our producer, Sam, earlier today. I had no idea that only the nominees, their guests and presenters will be in attendance. But of course, that does make sense. Now, Michael, I hate to start us off on a very serious note as we're going to take the rest of the proceedings decidedly very unseriously. But I got my Chicago Tribune today, Mm. thrown in my driveway, picked it up, decided with my morning coffee to read what one Michael Phillips had to say. And your column addressed, you know, the arc light and other cinemas closing down. And then you wrote this when talking about and thinking about the Oscars. Remember the whole thing about predicting Oscar winners back before the pandemic, before the 2020 killings of George Floyd and so many others, before what happened again in Minnesota just last week, this time to Dante Wright. It's no wonder the Oscars seem insanely frivolous this year. Life right now is more about nailing down your second vaccination or trying to stay sane while another black or brown citizen is killed by the police than speculating on who will win Best Supporting Actress. We turn now to our picks for Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> not, not the transition I really want to go for there, but this is weighing on my mind. I know it's weighing on Josh's mind. Should we just shut down the show right now? That's it. Call it Call it a show, maybe, you know, eight, eight minutes in or whatever it is. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I'd be in favor. No, I wouldn't really. I, I think, I, but I tell you, I wrote that. And uh, I just don't feel like it's easy to be a barrel of laughs on this topic, uh, let alone insight, because it just is, you know, I, I guess it's the same thing that it might have felt during wartime and World War II. Maybe it's the same thing it felt at the just the, the bottom of the Depression in, in 32, 33. But there's something else going on here. I, I don't know. I, you know who wrote a really good piece yesterday that I thought absolutely nailed the moment we're in Oscar-wise is Brian Lowry, uh, my old L.A. Times colleague, uh, uh, writing for CNN. Did you did you guys read that? Did not. No. It's a, he talks about, just very simply, doesn't really get into the whole kind of socio 
psycho nightmare we're living in as a nation right now. But he says, if the Oscars needed a general theme this year beyond just honoring the best in movies, the closure of the Arclight and Pacific cinema chain has perhaps given them one. Spread the message to save theaters. And I mean, you know, it's about more than two theaters. I mean, he's specifically talking about the Arclight on Sunset Boulevard, which is which is the first really cool multiplex I'd ever been to in my life uh, when it opened in 2002, uh, right next door to the Pacific Cinerama Dome, uh, which is a uniquely bizarre volleyball of a of an icon, right <laughs> in movie going. Um, uh, and and he just said, "This is really this is what's going on here." I mean, will will the Oscars take on the question of um, what's happening all around this annual event, uh, which is, you know, yes, everyone we knew six months ago into the pandemic, uh, we knew everybody was just, you know, getting less and less wedded to the tradition and maybe the preference to see movies in brick and mortar theaters. But now with, with chains like the arc, like closing down with, you know, everybody on the ropes and who knows what the next few months will bring both COVID wise and, and, and economics of, of, of movie going wise. It's, uh, it's really hard to just feel like, uh, yippee skippy. Let's uh, award, let's, let's, uh, let's recognize the best work we saw. That's not that hard because the list is pretty good. You know, this is a good Oscar list actually in the, but everything around it is kind of still going to hell and it's hard. It's hard to know how to feel about it. It is. And as good as some of the choices might be, that doesn't mean we all still won't find some faults as we get into our picks for six of the main categories at the 2021 Oscars. And the way we do this here on Film Spotting is we share our picks for who we think will win. And we really don't have a clue. Let's face it. Who should win that we feel much more knowledgeable about. And then our egregious omission. So the performer, the film, the director that we think should have been among the finalists, but was overlooked by the Academy. And the little wrinkle there is we don't just throw them in. We do have to keep it to whatever number is designated there, the number of finalists. That means you got to remove somebody. So we are going to start with supporting actor. The nominees, Sasha Baron Cohn, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami, Paul Racy, Sound of Metal, Lakeith Stanfield, Judas and the Black Messiah. Michael, start us off. Damn good lineup. It is. Yes, I just <laughs> just wanted to say that. Uh, it is a damn good lineup, with one partial exception, and we'll we'll toss him out in a second. But I think who will win? Uh, Daniel Kaluuya for uh, Fred Hampton uh, in Judas and the Black Messiah, a film I liked a lot, a lot, even with some problems with it, but uh, and even with some weird kind of a misnominated pair of actors in the center of it because really at least one of them shouldn't be supporting actor but i think he will win i think who should win is is the kind of actor and the kind of performance that every year when the oscars come around you sort of just think oh wouldn't it have been great if you know that certain actress or actor who just gave a such a unaffected unassuming, completely authentic performance. Wouldn't it have been great if they would nominate something like that? Something. Well, they did this year. They nominated Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, Chicago's own Paul Racy. Uh, who is a wonderful L.A.-based actor now, uh, the hearing son of deaf parents. And, you know, the performance he gives 
in this story of uh, Riz Ahmed's character, you know, going, losing his hearing, going deaf, and just figuring out which way he's going to go. Is he going to go for the cochlear implant, or is he going to find his peace and, and make his peace with, uh, you know, with becoming a member of the deaf community? Uh, Racy's work, unbelievably good. It's such a heartening thing to see an actor in his early 70s get a pop like this finally, 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 after decades of of stage work and a tiny bit of film and TV work, but that's a great performance that should win, and I'd love it if it did. I wonder, uh, all these mornings you've been sitting in my study, sitting, have you had any moments of stillness? Because you're right, Reuben, the world does keep moving, it can be a damn cruel place but for me those moments of stillness that place that's the kingdom of god egregious omission i would toss sasha baron cohen who i think is the one performer one performance i should say in in this category for the trial of chicago seven that doesn't ring at all true to me uh, as Abby Hoffman because he didn't even really bother to get any of Abby Hoffman's speech patterns or rhythms or uh, intonations right. And I think that's too bad. Uh, um, I'd toss him and I'd bring in, I would really bring in quickly Delroy Lindo for The Five Bloods or from Ma Rainey, I'd bring in right behind him Coleman Domingo or Glenn Turman. Those three performances among many, but especially Delroy Lindo, that's, that's the one that's like, what? Why isn't it there? So that's mine. I'm going to predict that the person you would toss is going to win. I, I'm going to say Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> yes, he You're might. You're so cynical, Josh. No, he might. Yeah, he might. He might. That is how, you know, we said at the top, I, I enjoy the Oscars. I watch them, but that doesn't mean I'm not cynical about them. And I look at this situation as the tradition of comedians done good. You know, the Academy right. loves to see comedians finally do it right. <laughs> it's kind of how I read that. Um, like Robin Williams, for example, and many others who, you know, don't always win, but often get nominated. That might be the case here. Who should win? My pick um, is Lakeith Stanfield. And, you know, you're you're right, Michael. I think you're probably um, referring to him about the misnomination. This is really a starring role. Um, and it's a quintessentially squirrely Stanfield performance as this FBI informant undercover with the Black Panthers. I just love how it takes advantage of his low energy exterior, his panicked interior as a screen presence. It's just a perfect fit. And I think he does great in this role. Who should have been nominated? For me, the performance that I really connected with from First Cow, though every performance in that movie is good, was Orion Lee as King Lou. This man of philosophy, who's also a man of commerce <laughs> and he has a sage wisdom, even as he's laying out the oily cakes business plan with cookie, the, the one, one of the lines from last year that keeps bubbling up in my mind every once in a while is when King Lou says, I believe different things in different places. And I'm still trying to figure out what he means by that, but it's just a wonderful line for that movie in particular. Um, so Orion Lee is who I would put in there and I would, I would bump out, Sasha Baron Cohen as well, Michael. I, I, I think I. It sounds like I found him more entertaining than you did in Trial of Chicago Seven, but I think that's part of the problem as well. He's just so teed up by Sorkin here, and each punchline he sends it straight down the middle. But th that's part of the problem I had with the whole movie is just 
kind of how briskly entertaining it is in, at times. Um, so maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's who I would take out to fit in Orion Lee in Best Supporting Actor. Good pick. Uh, Orion Lee, I hadn't thought, yeah, I mean, that, and we'll hear more about First Cow uh, a couple of categories from now, for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can second that. And I also love as a lead actor performance from that movie, John Majaro. So I'm glad Orion Lee got some attention here as well. I'm pretty much in lockstep with you, Michael. I think Kaluuya will win. Josh, you may recall my number three question of the movie year. Will Judas and the Black Messiah powerfully teach a new generation about Fred Hampton and anoint Daniel Kaluuya as one of his generation's best? I am more mixed on the movie, mainly because I don't think the storytelling approach focusing on the Judas character, the Lakeith Stanfield character really works at all. But I'm not mixed on Kaluuya's performance. I think this Oscar win should definitely seal his status as one of our best. Do either of you worry about, um, cause I, that's who I was going to go with second, but I was a little worried about the splitting the vote reality here, you know, having two actors from the same movie in this category. And if that might work against Kaluuya, cause if it was, if, if Stanfield was not nominated, I would predict Kaluuya all the way. No, I think that's a valid concern. I, I just think, that performance, and again, considering the power of it overall, but also Kaluuya, I think I think we're sort of ready. I think there's some some momentum behind him as a performer. I'm not sure the Academy is really willing to put its full force behind an amazing performer like Lakeith Stanfield. And maybe that performance, too, and it gets back to some of my issues with the writing, that performance was maybe just a little bit too slippery to really to really feel like it's one you want to say was one of the year's best. It's it's pretty nuanced and I do think it's good, but I don't think it quite has the the overall impact of Kaluuya. So maybe I think there's not going to be as much of a split, Josh, as you might anticipate. And he's won several Kaluuya, that is, has won several major awards for that performance already. That seems to be, you know, who knows, you know, the Oscars, that's, that's only a 50% of the time sort of trail you can follow, you know, that, that the Oscars will follow that, uh, that path. But I think, mm -hmm. uh, I think in this case, they probably will. And it is the kind of performance that they usually do give awards to their speeches, their showcase moments. So that all makes sense to me. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing about, about uh, what you say about Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, every single, single shot and close up is a, is another speechy, Oscar ready moment, you know, and that's Zinger. kind of my, yeah. that's my quibble with it. I think, you know, I don't usually get hung up on realism, you know, at all. I always quote mm -hmm. Tennessee Williams. I, I don't give me realism, give me magic, or, or no, I think he actually said, don't give me liberty, give me death. But, uh, but that's, I'm getting <laughs> my quotes mixed up. But, but the, I, I just think Sasha Baron Cohen, who is such, such an acute mimic in so many ways in so many different guises, to just sort of disregard the, the really combustible, zigzaggy, unpredictable energy of the real Abby Hoffman slowed that movie down for me. And mm -hmm. and yes, uh, I guess you know he's he's a skillful and artful enough straight performer, comically tinged always. But in this case, as you say, Josh, you know I think he he may well be rewarded uh, for you know cutting the clowning out. Mm -hmm. in general, uh, if, because the role calls for it. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's my thing. But yeah, interesting. Four of the five nominees here, real-life historical figures. That's another difference there, Josh, where Lakeith Stanfield even playing a real-life figure, though not one anybody really knows anything about, in contrast to Fred Hampton. In terms of who should win, 
I was elated when these nominations were announced to find that my two favorite supporting male turns of the year did get nominations. Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami and Paul Racy from Sound of Metal. When I submitted my Chicago Film Critics ballot, I did give the edge to Leslie Odom Jr., all five foot seven of him playing Sam Cooke going up against these really formidable <laughs> civil rights icons in Malcolm X, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, all with tremendous charisma, all with tremendous stature. And and you see that as well in this category going against Daniel Kaluuya as as Fred Hampton, as I said. But my heart, my heart is really with Paul Racy, who you'd never describe as charismatic, at least not in the way those other figures are, those other performers are that we've mentioned, but you can't take your eyes off him anytime he's on screen in Sound of Metal and you lean in every time he speaks or has something to impart. And I think it it comes down to how comfortable he seems in his own skin, how at peace with himself he is, but still he's carrying the weight of someone who had to really struggle to get to that point. And after Silly Games from Lover's Rock, Racy gave me my favorite scene of the movie year, which is just a conversation that happens about three quarters of the way or closer to the end of Sound of Metal between Racy and Riz Ahmed, a really tough, bracingly honest conversation between the two, a really uncomfortable conversation, even though nobody, nobody raises a voice, nobody gets angry with each other. You just have two really talented artists giving unflinching performances. And after I saw Sound of Metal, my entire letterbox review was just for your consideration, Paul Racy. And of course, at this time, nobody was nobody was talking about the Oscars. I don't think he was on anybody's radar. I never imagined when I wrote it that he'd actually get nominated. I just knew I wanted to lead that that parade. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's exactly the kind of great performance that never gets nominated. No, it doesn't. You know, and, and he said he told me when I interviewed him, he said the, the director had to really basically beat the acting out of him. You know, he said, I don't want any acting. Yeah. I don't want any acting. It's just, you know, you got it. Just do it. You know? I think I read it in your article where you talked to him, Michael, that they considered Robert Duvall for this role. And I'm sure Robert Duvall would have been very good. Robert Duvall probably would have gotten an Oscar nomination <laughs> too, quite yeah. frankly. But I'm really happy that we got Paul Racy's take on this character. And I don't imagine either that he's actually going to win. But would make me as happy as any Oscar win I can think of. I know, of in I, know memory, I know, I know, it, it really would, it really so, would. here's to praying. Egregious omission, I don't need to continue beating up Sasha Baron Cohen, but I agree with the two of you. And I think if I had to sub in one actor, it would be Malachi Kirby from Steve McQueen's Mangrove, who plays oh, Darkest How, a new face to me. And he's very good as this Trinidadian activist in that movie, part of the Small Axe anthology, which I think you can still see on on Amazon Prime. Lots of good performances in that film. Yeah, I will say it was it was maybe unfair to watch Charlie Chicago 7 because I caught up with it late after having seen Small Axe and Mangrove in particular, which does turn into a courtroom drama and just how mm-hmm. um, both films handle that genre and a lot of the sort of cliches that you're going to come up against and how the actors, too, handle it. Because I agree with you, Adam, that's, that's a, a great performance, a small one tucked into that film, too. Let us organize a demonstration. We're not in Trinidad now, boy. This is Notting Hill. This is Notting Hill. This place, the mangrove, it is Notting Hill. 
whether you can recognize so or not. This is the front line. The mangrove, the, the, this, this is community, the black community is your community. The black community who rely on the mangrove just as much as you rely on them. Take it to the street. Take it to the street, Frank. They just use it as an excuse. We move on to Best Supporting Actress. The nominees are Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman, The Father, Amanda Seyfried, Mank, and Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. Michael, your pick. We'll start with who will win. Yu uh, Jung Yoon will win for Minari. I think that's that's a. I would bet money on that, and I would be happy and will be happy when she does. Um, the, the one I really missed on this list that I think really deserved to be there is Talia Ryder in Eliza Hitman's film Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which we're not hearing about at all. You know, Oscar night, uh, which is which is like a lot of the very best, and I would say the most ardently and expressively feminist films I uh, made in America last year or released in America last year uh, that um, you know some something something's telling me that the, the presence of promising young woman my most problematic title of the entire list this year is just clogging up space that should be taken by other better films but anyway Talia Ryder and never really sometimes always terrific performance it's a kind of poetic naturalism that a lot of the, the the titles most prominent in the conversation this year from Minari and Nomadland are all kind of hitting the various, uh, you know, moods and strains of this sort of poetic realism, uh, sometimes effectively, sometimes maybe a little problematically. But that's a great performance. And man, I hate to say it, but Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, it's, <laughs> I, 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 that's, that's, that's a really, really mediocre performance in a kind of profoundly misguided adaptation of a of something that uh, you know maybe Ron Howard was the wrong director to try to adapt so I, I you know anyway that's 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 what sticks out to me so Michael we got your who will win your egregious omission there and it sounds very clearly like you're cutting out Glenn Close of the nominees who would be your pick to win are you saying that you think that Yu Jung Yoon is the best choice of the five I think I'd be equally happy with her or Maria Bakalova for the Borat sequel. Not a film I love, not a comedy I love, and I loved the first one. But it's she is so clearly the shining element in that picture, and you know brings out. I hate to say this because you sound like just a goofball, but you know it brings out the heart in the thing that that the movie's really carefully engineering to make sure that it has something like a heart because the first one didn't and that's partly why it was great <laughs> satire but mm-hmm. she's great in it and and i just hope we see more of her but yeah I, that'd be a wonderful a wonderful pick actually and um, and olivia coleman's terrific in it amanda seafried you know good in mank which did not deserve to be the most nominated picture this year but yeah i'll go with a, a, a tie between bakalova and yo jung young something really strange something wonderful just happened to me and <laughs> I go to the toilet and I put my index finger and my my middle finger on my and I found out that I wasn't stuck in and I wasn't eaten. Woman's this place is amazing. No teeth at all. It has no what? No teeth. Ah. No teeth. 
It's so nice, so warm. Well, I've got a different prediction. I, I think it it's probably going to be Glenn Close, actually. And that wasn't my first instinct because oh my I God. realized this isn't who I want. I haven't even seen the performance. I have not yet seen <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy. But I do think she's going to win just because... The fact that it was a reviled movie in the circles that we follow did not prevent it from getting this nomination, which tells me that there is a group that really likes the film or at least her performance. So then you got to set the critical reception aside because it's already been set aside. And you look at what we've got here. We've got a classic case for a career achievement award, right? Eight nominations for close, no wins. And this is what the Academy does. So for me, I I think that's where things will fall. Now, who should win of this group? I would say Amanda Seyfried. I really thought her performance was probably my favorite thing about Mank. And so I would go that route. Now, who should have been nominated? Uh, I'm going to vote for Yuri Han, who plays Monica in Minari. It's a tender complicated performance, way more complicated than it's been given credit for. She's kind of been forgotten among this cast with Stephen Young also being nominated. And I think she's as crucial to the scenes between them. I always go back to that moment where uh, she bathes Jacob, her husband, played by Stephen Young. After a hard day's work, he's so sore he can't even get his shirt off. He's been out in the field. And this is after they've had a huge blow up about why this family is even there. And Yuri Han is just able to bring, she's able to let us know that she still loves her husband, even though she's seethingly angry with him in this one sequence, managing to capture that element of the marriage. And so I would put her on this list and I would probably take out, you know, I'd take out Glenn Close, I'm imagining, based on what you said, Michael, if I had seen Hillbilly LG, not having seen that, that's not entirely fair. So I had to pick someone else, made this extra hard. And for me, it would probably be Olivia Coleman. I, I think she's fantastic in The Father, but this is also a case where, you know, once you're in the Oscar club, you kind of you kind of get bumped to the front of the line in future performances, especially if they're recent ones. And after she did win Best Actress for The Favorite, I think that's kind of what's happening here because it's a very good performance. One of the best five of the year, you know, probably not. So I thought I was the only host who was going to cop to not finishing his Oscars homework. But we were talking earlier about not maybe being in the right frame of mind for certain types of frivolity. Well, here's the absurdity I could not talk myself into as I was trying to prepare for this week's show. Every time I thought about that still from Hillbilly Elegy <laughs> with Glenn Close and Amy Adams or one of J.D. Vance's tweets came across my timeline, I just realized there's no way I was going to make time for Hillbilly Elegy. And Similarly, and perhaps unfairly, especially because I trust that the performance is really good. And in fact, I've seen half the movie and really loved the performance that I saw. But every time I tried to go back to finish Borat, I couldn't do it. There was something about the tone of it, the, the kind of cringiness of it, which is already hard for me to accept. It just was impossible to accept this week. So my picks here are even more discountable and discardable than they would normally be. I will say I think... Michael's right that Yu Jung Yun is going to win, though I'm with you, Josh. And I know, Michael, yes, you're a fan too. Yuri Han's performance is the better one there. 
Josh, I agree with you. Safe Reed should win. She was number one on my Chicago film critics ballot in the category and egregious omission. Not fair to remove anyone since I did miss one and a half of the performances, but I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to mention Margot Martindale again. We were big fans of Blow the Man Down, a Golden Brick nominee, a Golden Brick finalist here on the show. Just a deliciously devious performance where she knows all the secrets of this little coastal main town in which she kind of presides over as a brothel owner. She's she's so much fun all the time. She's really fun in Blow the Man Down. So that would maybe be my pick here if I had the credibility to actually kick someone out of Best Supporting Actress. I'd like to thank you both for for only seeing, well, I guess, none of Hillbilly Elegy, because I really do think that that, that, that film and that, and Glenn Close's performance is really best appreciated by not seeing it. It's uh, it's not, uh, it's just, it's it's a weird. She's so good in so many different types of roles, Glenn Close, and but there's something about the fact that when she didn't win for the wife, which is her subtlest role and probably her most stripped down you know, elemental performance, very, very minimalist. Uh, it's like she got a hold of Hell- Hillbilly Elegy just as a revenge, you know, an act of revenge. Cause it was like, mm-hmm. you know, you always talk, I know you guys, you, the only thing you really took away from the Marx Brothers marathon was, was how to do Harpo Marx's gookie. Oh boy. And it's like everybody in the cast of Hillbilly Elegy is doing Harpo Marx's gookie for two oh. hours. Cause that's how they act in oh. Appalachia, you know. I'm taking him. <laughs> Where? To live with me. And if you got a problem with that, you can talk to the barrel of my gun. You can't just come in He's here. getting in trouble. He's in trouble. He's a teenager. No, it's not just that. He needs somebody to pay some f- attention before it's too late. What do you think I've been doing, huh? Just got us into this new house. Good he news. He could have gone to jail, Beverly. He's got loser friends, and he's going to be a loser if somebody don't do something. Yeah, sincerely intended. Uh, Ron Howard does not have an insincere bone in his body as an actor or a director, but holy moly. Josh, if you're right, and if Glenn Close wins, I, uh, well, I'll, I'll make the next Borat film. That's what I'll do. That's- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, can't, I would love to see that. But yeah, maybe that was part of my reservation is just hearing that about Close's performance and not wanting to, you know, see an actor I admire have to do do material like that. I was in a Adam I was in a similar situation with you. It was so bad. I actually had a window. I think this was Saturday afternoon. Finished up the stuff that I, you know, needed to get done. Uh, everyone else in the family was busy. And I, I, I sat there and thought I could probably, I might yeah. be able to get yes. through <laughs> the, hit the play button. Um, before, before the rest of the, you know, the day takes up and you know what I decided to do? I started to research and get gather material for my taxes. <laughs> I, that's where it was. Sounds like a more productive and rewarding use of time. The decision to embark on watching Hillbilly Elegy is like taking on and beginning and committing to the world's harshest diet. You know, like the like a new diet. It just doesn't give you, it doesn't even allow you food and water. You know, that, that's- I already have to deal with that in reality. I don't need the metaphorical version of that, Michael. <laughs> so, all right. We move on to lead actor. The nominees are Riz Ahmed from Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Gary Oldman, Mank, or Stephen Yun, Minari. Michael, 
Start us off with who will win. Who will win? I think Riz Ahmed will win for Sound of Metal. I think. Wow. It, I know. I know. I don't know why, and I'm I'm wrong. I, I'll tell you right now, I'm wrong. But I think <laughs> I think that it'll happen. I, it just feels to me like it might be one of these surprises for the night. Uh, I, I mean, I think who should win is frankly Chadwick Boseman, and he may well win. But uh, for I think Chadwick Boseman. As uh, the trumpeter Levy in uh, August Wilson's play Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, here filmed by George C. Wolfe, um, and really, really interestingly adapted in terms of the script because they cut almost a fourth of the play out and just raced it, and it, it gives it a real interesting energy. Um, but it's also a real downer for a lot of people, like my my. My father-in-law, and mother-in-law, you know, really went into a funk after seeing that, and I don't know if they've come out yet. I mean, that was two months ago, so it's a tough world to live in, in some ways. Uh, you know, being in being in among those session musicians in 1927 Chicago. But Chadwick Boseman, man, he he is so good in that part. It, it's it would it would make me very happy, and and it would be profoundly bittersweet because he's gone. But it would make me very happy if he won. This in terms of the egregious omission. Okay, here's 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 my other curveball. Toss Gary Oldman, who's pretty good <laughs> as Mank, but I don't really care about Mank much this year, especially. Bring in mm-hmm. Lakeith Stanfield. He should be yinked out of the supporting category into the lead category. And uh, you, you, huh. you you're very interesting, Adam, on that topic of of exactly you know kind of why you know I don't think he's got a shot in hell as a supporting actor. It's a very tough. Um, anyways, profoundly dislikable character he's playing because he's such a weasel and an informant and just kind of a rat. Um, and that's a very hard character for most audiences to live with. But Stanfield just commits all the way uh, without ever really getting into a lather about it. But just it's a very uncomfortable experience that performance is also terrific and you know i would have at least nominated the guy because i think that having those two actors like stanfield and daniel kaluuya both in the supporting category okay mm-hmm. then there are no leads and that i i don't think that's being honest or true i just would actually nominate him in the correct category which is this one if i gave any credence to the oscar voters i'd say the fact that they put them both in supporting actor speaks to the schizophrenia of the movie and my issue okay. with it the movie okay. can't ultimately at some point totally decide who the lead really is i think it maybe should have picked a lane so to speak but josh if i was going to go with the larson cynic ometer I think it's a synoctomy yeah. meter. <laughs> that sounds painful. I would, I would predict that you're then going to say that you think who will win is Gary Oldman for Mank. Uh, no, we'll we'll get to to Mank a little bit later, which is a movie I actually liked. But I want to jump back to Stanfield, Michael, and that's that's so heartening to hear because the only reason I don't have him in this category as I should have been nominated is because I'm fairly certain, you know, we're counting this for the show purposes. We're counting Judas and the Black Messiah to be a 2021 film. And so I'm considering him, he's going to be on my list of best lead performances of 2021 because I think it is, you use the right word. I wrote about it in terms of him being 
being one of the great screen weasels. I think it's an incredibly <laughs> weaselly performance, which Stanfield is particularly good at, and I think it's fantastic. And to me, he seemed like the clear lead. Um, I was kind of surprised that the that Kaluuya was noted as you know being the sort of headliner of this film. I think that's one reason why Judas and the Black Messiah threw a curveball at audiences is because we are going to spend our time and see this through the lens of a very dislikable guy. So anyway, that's all um, to say that I'm with you on Stanfield. As far as who will win, no, I'm not that cynical, Adam, though this will probably sound cynical too. I think it's going to be Chadwick Boseman because how could the Academy not give it to Chadwick Boseman? And let me preface that by saying I think he should win as well. Um, So this isn't completely cynical. I think it's the right way to go. That was a ferocious bedeviled performance that he gave in Ma Rainey that for me worked as a really nice counter to the more noble parts that I think we normally associate with him. But at the same time, Bozeman gave that character that underlying dignity that he always brought. So, so here's a very troubled, troublesome man. Um, but in order to capture that, Bozeman didn't jettison the dignity that he always brings. So, and you know, the Academy is, I don't think they could face people the next day if they didn't give it to Bozeman, especially posthumously. My daddy wasn't spooked up by the white man, no sir. And that taught me how to handle them. I see my daddy go up and grin in this cracker's face. Smile in his face and sell him his land. All the while, he's planning how he's going to get him or what he's going to do to him. That taught me how to handle them. So you all just back up and leave Levy alone about the white man. I can smile and say yes, sir, to whoever I please. I got my time coming to me. I'm going to go back to Small Axe, and I'm with you, Adam, back to Mangrove, actually, the first installment in Steve McQueen's anthology for who should have been nominated. And that's Sean Parks as Frank Critchlow, the restaurant owner. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, in a very few words, he has to convey this righteous radicalization that happens to this man, a guy who just wanted to stay under the radar, out of the cop's way, run his business, and the world is not going to let him, I don't want to say goodbye, but that's not what fate has in store for him. And he rises to the occasion. Um, McQueen's trust in, here's a distinction between this movie and Trial of Chicago 7. McQueen's trust in giving the verdicts all to a close-up of Parks as Critchlow mm-hmm. hearing them read um, and, and trusting him to carry that moment, and he does, is so powerful. So I would lose Oldman in this category. I do think Mank has its moments, but I just don't think the movie nor Oldman are among the best of what I saw in 2020. So I'd put in Sean Parks instead of Oldman. Well, I want to say that I really do think this is a strong category. I admire all of these performances. Yes, even Gary Oldman's in Mank. I do, of course, think it's going to come down to Bozeman v. Hopkins, Hmm. something we probably all saw coming before these movies even were released. It was being discussed. You've got the posthumous tribute factor here to Bozeman versus the late career tribute to Hopkins. I think Hopkins probably benefits from really owning his movie, The Father, whereas you could argue that Ma Rainey, she's in the title, it belongs to Davis as much as it belongs to Bozeman. And we are going to give Viola Davis her own recognition here in a moment. That said, my own bias might be showing here. 
I think Ma Rainey is the better film, and I do think that Chadwick Boseman wins, and I think he should win. The tougher choice for me isn't over Hopkins. It's over Michael, who you think could win it, and that's Riz Ahmed. One of those actors we're going to see, or we should certainly see, more great performances from the other tragically. We will not. And I know I just said that he kind of splits his movie with Viola Davis, but it's a towering final performance as Levy, and I think it is big enough that he runs away with the film, even as good as Viola Davis is, and I do think the movie transcends, I think the performance transcends the inherent theatricality of the proceeding. So Bozeman's my pick there. In terms of egregious omission, Sean Parks was actually one of the first names I went to as well, Josh. I think you expressed it very well. The The moment where he finally does erupt, too, is such a cathartic one, though catharsis makes it almost sound like it's relieving. I'm not sure that it is. It's certainly his most intense moment of the film, that courthouse jail moment where He's expelled from the courtroom and finally loses it and really lets it all out. And the the framing of that just really allows Parks to showcase his skills in that scene. But I'm actually going to go with Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X in One Night in Miami as my favorite non-nominated lead actor performance. That wasn't necessary. Yes, that absolutely was necessary. We're supposed to be friends. Yes, I am his friend, and that is why I am trying to give him a wake-up call. There is no more room for anyone. Not you, not me, not Jimmy, not Sam, no one to be standing on the fence anymore. Our people are literally dying in the streets every day. Black people are dying. Every day. And a line has got to be drawn in the sand, Jimmy. A line that says, either you stand on this side with us, or you stand over on that side against us, Cash. And I, I, I believe, I believe in that brother's potential, Jimmy, too much. Too much to let him stay over on the other side. For me going into that movie, there was a little bit of an element of why are you even trying to play Malcolm X? You know, like maybe it's okay if someone shows up as Malcolm X for a movie for five to ten minutes on screen, but really being almost in every scene in this stage adaptation, having to take in another Malcolm X performance after Denzel Washington's kind of just seems like why even why even try that? But I really feel that he captures the cadence that we know he captures the the fierce intellect the bravado the righteousness but also all the vulnerability and the the anxiety and the weariness of that character at that point in his life the fear really too he really makes him human he makes malcolm x someone who's still larger than life in that movie but also makes him human and that's why i love kingsley ben adir's performance unfortunately not nominated for best lead actor that whole film is just really just rock solid it's it's every it's so every good. it's a li- you know I, I i understand the limitations of the play and they haven't solved them for the screen version it's a little soft everybody's edges are a little softer than maybe a play that's built on kind of disquisition and debate and 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 you know ideological clashes uh could use a sharper edge or two, but man, it it's it's just Regina King just killed it as you know behind the yeah. camera, took it easy, let everybody do their job. It's just it's it's sound those things sound easy and sort of like 
you know, job one as a director, and it happens about twenty five times out of five hundred a year. <laughs> you know, where where the where the, the, the elements work like that, and that's why these we all have different performances. You know, we that we like at different times in that film, depending. I mean, I mean, they're all they all could be potential favorites. They're all really good. They all yeah. and and honestly, they all could have been nominated. Speaking of Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, she is a nominee for Best Lead Actress along with Andre Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Francis McDormand, Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. Michael, yeah, I think. I, okay, I'm wrong again. I, I, I'm actually guessing wrongly that uh, Carrie Mulligan is going to somehow win Best Actress and just enrage huh. me. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I think really? she, I think she's a terrific actress, but I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I mean, I'm still sorting through, frankly, the, the the ways and means by which that film, Promising Young Woman, plays uh, deliberately. Uh, it's dead serious subject uh, plays it so falsely by going for the kind of black satire and dark comedy um, that it does and and to me just sort of misses uh, and and leaves you just feeling like it was just sort of a joke and the worst kind of joke but Mulligan I think is just such a good technician she makes you believe there's a movie happening. I don't know. So I think, I don't yeah. know. This is my cynic, my most cynical uh, prediction. That I, I just think uh, it, it may be like, okay, well, it caused a fuss. Let's let's not, I mean, it's the only plausible nomination that uh, we should award. So let's go carry Mulligan. But I don't know. I don't even have faith in my my uh, my prediction on that. But I'm going to say for the hell of it, just, just for the hell of it, uh, that Carrie Mulligan will win. I think should win Viola Davis for Ma Rainey, even though Adam... Ma Rainey's structure is just like Judas and the Black Messiah in that nobody really knows who that movie's about. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. oh, it's it's Ma Rainey's in the title. Well, she doesn't show up till you know nearly a third of the way in on stage in the play, and they kind of front loaded her in the movie just to kind of make her a little more prominent. Where we see her down in rural Georgia performing kind of a tent show before she moves up to Chicago for the recording session. But you know, it's. Uh, it's it's such a great performance though, and Viola Davis has done such great work with August Wilson her whole career on stage. You know, fantastic. The you know the, the egregious omission. I would drop Vanessa Kirby from Pieces of a Woman and bring in, oh God, I got to give you four: Julia Garner in The Assistant, Sydney Flanagan mm. in Never, huh. Rarely, Sometimes, Always, Carrie Coon in The Nest, and there you go. You know, Elizabeth Moss in uh, either Shirley or The Invisible. Man, it's just, it's just, it was such great work, all four. And, you know, that's what I would do. But, you know, honestly, I'll be just as happy to see Viola Davis uh, win because she should. And I hope she does. Now, Josh and I, we both, Michael, want to wrap you on the fingers for picking four yeah. or five okay. there for <laughs> your egregious omission, except we agree so much with your choices great that we're going to but you allow. You can't do it. You can't do it. No, yeah, we can't. can't do it. Uh, well, okay, I got, I got ten, I got twelve, I think twelve for the next one, and <laughs> seventeen for best picture. Great, so. fantastic. <laughs> Who did you say is getting bumped, Michael, from this this current uh, list? Then? I would bump uh, Vanessa Kirby for pieces of oh, right. woman. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay, um, yeah, I think for best actress, I think Viola Davis is going to win. I think Viola Davis should win. I think whenever Viola Davis appears in an adaptation of an August Wilson play, you give her the Oscar. So uh, we can just do that moving forward. I think who should have been nominated, I'm going to pick someone from your list, Michael, and it is Carrie Coon. Yes. In the yes. Vicious, delicious performance. Just 
maybe the most purely enjoyable that I saw last year. And so I would have loved to have seen her. It would it would kind of been, um, you know, the equivalent of the Paul Racy nod, I think. I know she's more high profile than he is, but still someone you would never expect. And to see that would have been just great. I feel much better about who I'm going to boot after what you said, Michael, because I think I'd have to take out Carrie Mulligan here. And I know that is heresy to Adam and certainly to Sam, our producer. Um, I just, you know, this is a movie, a very difficult movie that overall I do appreciate, even as I struggle with a lot of elements. And as far as Mulligan's performance goes, I think she was more than gamed, okay, for these charged scenarios that the writer-director Emerald Fennell designed for the movie. She's captivating in each individual scene on its own. I think that's the the technical talent that you're talking about. But I, I never got a sense that Cassandra registered as this full person outside of these clever games that the movie was playing. And and for that, I think it's just a you know a degree below then. I guess going back to Carrie Coon, imagine Carrie Coon as she is in the nest playing that part in Promising Young Woman. And I think you have something closer to what would have made that movie really sing in a way that I know a lot of people have connected to it. Um, and, and so this is one of those cases where I mistrust my own response a little bit. But um, but yeah, I think uh, I'd have to take out Mulligan if I'm going to make room for Carrie Coon. Mm. Well. Michael, you said you were picking Mulligan to win. She will win for the hell of it. And I'm with you. I can't articulate why. It's just a gut feeling. I think Mulligan is going to win. And I would be okay with it. I'm I'm higher on her performance. I'm higher on the movie than I think both of you are. Though, Michael, I would love to talk about it more with you sometime because the more distance I get from it, the more <laughs> the more problems I have with it. There's no doubt about that. But there's still a part of me, and I know we shouldn't do this, where we give performers the award for other performances we <laughs> like more. But you know what? After an education and Never Let Me Go and Wildlife, okay, I, I, I'm fine with her winning. <laughs> I'm fine with her winning. Exactly, exactly. Wild, wildlife, Mudbound. I mean, she's been great in so many different things. And she's, she just has a, a – qual- uh, and it's not just about somebody's quality, you know, which is kind of a, goof, you know, yes. dumb, a dumb way to put it. But but there, she doesn't remind me of anybody. And, this, and that, that's – except she is just so indelibly but also in dazzlingly versatile in so many ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, but – you know, I always just when 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 pressed to discuss it because I never got the chance yet to write about promising young woman. Just a quirk of the schedule. Um, I always refer people to the great Dana Stevens, you know, friend of the show, obviously, yeah. uh, and just one of the one of the best critics in America. And, and she's just has written beautifully uh, about about her problems with promising young woman. And, and I think I think that's that's for me always the first and only reference. Just read her and then argue back. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah no, and I I actually haven't read her piece yet, but I know when I watched it on first viewing, I I went for I went for the boldness of it. I went for how how kind of icky and disturbed it made me feel. Honestly, I appreciated the the audacity of the film and I think the the different tones it was going for, Michael. So again, overall, I'm more of a fan of that film and that performance, but if I could pick, I would give it to Davis as well. And she's got all of these really commanding scenes in the film. 
and she's butting heads with Chadwick Boseman or with the producers who are exploiting her. And yet whenever I think about the movie and I think about her performance in particular, I actually think of a line from a movie we recently talked about here on the show, Josh, part of our 7 from 76 series when we talked about Network. And I don't know if we ever even mentioned Beatrice Strait, who, of course, sort of infamously won an Oscar for really being in like what two scenes, two scenes yeah. total. And she gets that one big mm-hmm. showdown with William Holden where she's on screen for nine minutes or maybe it's 14 minutes or something like that. But she's got that great line where she says, I'm hurt. Don't you understand that? And I think about the pain of Ma Rainey when I think about that movie, not the, not the bluster and kind of the, the bravado. She's someone, when we reviewed the movie, Josh, I mentioned that she, she needs, but she can't show that neediness to the world. And as much as she's a force on stage and that's super crucial to her success, it's, it's all about that persona. George C. Wolf's camera and Davis as a performer reveal what Ma Rainey is always hiding. And the more distance I get from that performance, the more I really reckon with how good it is. Not that we ever need to reconsider how good Viola Davis is in just about anything. Reverend was out here. I know they ain't rehearsed from Levy's Black Bottom. I know I ain't in there. Ma? That's what I wanted to talk to you about. Levy's version of that song, it really picks it up. I ain't starting Levy nothing. I don't know what he done to that song. I don't like to sing it that way. I'm doing it the old way. That's why I brought my nephew in here to do the voice intro. Well, that's what people want now, Ma. They want something they can dance to. Levy's arrangement gives the people what they want. It makes them excited. It makes them forget about their troubles. I don't care what you say, honey. Levy ain't messing up my song. Now, if you got what the people want, let them take it somewhere else. I'm singing my Rainy song. I ain't singing no Levy song. Now, that's all there is to it. My egregious omission. Well, here's another confession where I didn't do my homework. I already was struggling, as listeners heard me say, with seeing pieces of a woman. I knew it opened with what seemed like a pretty harrowing childbirth sequence. Then Josh did the math on it, like ran the stopwatch and told me it was something like 23 it's minutes 20, long. It's almost 25 minutes. Yeah. Okay. And I just knew I was out and I, I apologize to Vanessa Kirby. I apologize to the producers of pieces of a woman. You can expunge my ballot. I will not kick anyone out because I didn't see Kirby's performance, but I will just remind people. And now I don't really have to, because you guys did it for me that if they haven't already seen Chicago's own Carrie Coon in the nest, they need to, because she would be my first name in easily in this category. You know, and I don't, I haven't thought much about pieces of a woman, uh, except now that we've been talking about promising young woman to have two very different films take on two of these uh, just unbelievably anguished scenarios of, you know, uh, the loss of a stillborn child, uh, you know, sexual assault and the revenge thereof, uh, and to have both movies in totally different ways play those subjects falsely, in my view, that that's why they stick in my craw months later after I've forgotten even better movies. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'll wrestle with the reasons why, especially with Promising a Woman for, you know, for as long as I'm thinking about movies, I suppose. Hmm. Well, and I can play the cynic again here and say, how many Oscar-nominated performances can you point to where there is extreme suffering involved? Now, that doesn't mean that's out of bounds for movies to tackle. But as you're saying, Michael, if they tackle them honestly, 
that's something you know that I think we're more willing to give recognition to as as great performances. And if they don't, then it it, it can be an affront. So, but certainly suffering is a common thread among the the characters in the both of those films, and you do wonder how much that plays a role into the nominations. And the most suffering character maybe in that entire category, as we talked about, is actually Andre Day as Billie Holiday. Sure. Who, who, I, I'm movie. sorry. She is great. I mean, She's I mean great. I, I, and I like that movie more than almost anybody I know. You hmm. know, messy as it is, uh, fully a third of it or so doesn't work at all because it just tries Susan Laurie Parks, the screenwriter, who's a great playwright. Uh, maybe I just maybe I'm just overlooking all the problems because I have too many good memories of what she's done in the past. But I, I don't think so. I and Andre Day, great casting choice. Lee Daniels is a problematic director who really gives you 190 percent in terms of ideas and uh, attack on the material when really just 100 would work. But uh, I think Andre Day's great, and if she won, I, you know, it would be a nice upset, frankly. I, although over Viola Davis, mistake. Probably not going to be a win for Andre Day, but hopefully a launching pad for a lot of future great performances. Right. Our Oscar ceremony continues after the break when we talk Best Director and Best Picture. Plus, it's the return of Massacre Theater. Stay with us. I've thought a lot more about being a dad than I've thought about um, <clears throat> making conversation with the person carrying my baby. Right. Well, I'm nervous too. To my sperm, to the donor's egg, and to your uterus. Cheers. Cheers. You're listening to Film Spotting. Josh Larson, Adam Kempinar, Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune. With us, it's our Oscar prediction show. But first, we got to go back to that trailer we just heard a clip from you have to love a trailer that spells out the plot of the movie so well in just a single short clip maybe it's only podcast and radio producers that appreciate a trailer clip like that ed helms and patty harrison in together together writer director nicole beckless film debuted earlier this year as part of the virtual sundance film festival it did get very positive reviews it's going to come to theaters next weekend and we plan to talk about it on the show all three of us weren't able to partake in virtual sundance unfortunately but this movie josh stars ed cedar rapids helms yes you must be excited <laughs> i am that is how he's known in our house not not the office or anything else but you know ed cedar rapids helms I'm sure he's okay with that. Also, next week, we will continue the 40s noir marathon with a movie that has long been a blind spot for the both of us, Josh. I'm guessing not a blind spot for Michael Phillips. It is from 1947, after all. And you know you know every film from that decade, I'm sure. It's The Lady from Shanghai, directed by, of course, and starring Orson Welles, also starring Rita Hayworth. Should we be... Excited about this one coming next week, Michael? Uh, it's a blind spot. It's a deaf spot. It's a dumb spot. You're just dumb for not having seen it. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a crazy film. I mean, it, it's it's a great 
delirious movie. It's not it's not well behaved at all. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it barely tells its story straight. It, it you know, it's not for the plot dependent, you know, mm. in terms of your noir or 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 <laughs> okay. people who have trouble shaking off a crummy Irish brogue easily cuz Wells sticks to an Irish brogue that he shouldn't have the whole way, but I oh, love no. the movie anyway. I mean, there's some stuff in it visually that it's just, you know, yeah. I can't wait to no, I, I I'm eager to see it again. I haven't seen it for about, you know, ten years at least. So maybe not the brogue, but a lot of that sounds similar to our last noir film, Detour. A very unruly, misbehaving film too, I would say. Yes. Adam, oh right? yeah, yeah, great for film. Sure. Great film. Not for the plot dependent is such a good phrase that I'm gonna steal here and use <laughs> on future shows, Michael. Last week we had another seven from 76 conversation seven from 76 best year ever is the series. We talked about the best picture winning Rocky and Josh prompted this, but we both did kind of end the review poking fun at Frank Stallone Sly's brother showing up in the movie as part of a street corner doo-wop group. Take it back. There you go, Michael. Well, well, we might have to take it back because we heard from Frank Stallone. No, no, we did not. We actually Whoa. did not. Take it back. Is, that's, that's yeah, legally, you better take it back. I mean. <laughs> I've heard he's very litigious. We heard from, not Frank Stallone, but Greg David in Seattle, who wrote in defending, if not Frank Stallone, at least the doo-wop group. Josh? All right, here's Greg. I haven't written in some time, not since the Elaine May Marathon, I think, but your review of Rocky inspired me to do it. Specifically, I want to defend that early bit with the singing group on the street corner, as I think it's actually a nice bit of world building. As he walks by them, he says, you guys sound better every year. This establishes a few things. One, that this is Rocky's neighborhood. Two, that he knows everybody here and they all know him. And three, and most importantly, nobody gets out of this neighborhood regardless of their talent or value. It's a dead-end place where Rocky lives his dead-end life. Love the show despite Josh's stone-hearted inability (laughs) to feel joy. That's right. Yeah, Michael, I'm afraid I wasn't um, I wasn't only down on the doo-wop group. I, I was kind of down on Rocky in general. So I'm just trying to take some of the kinda. heat off of you for Raiders is, is what I'm doing here. Well, yeah, he's, he's not going to he's not going to help you, though, Josh, here. At least I don't think he is unless in his wisdom he has reconsidered Rocky because I did a little sleuthing on the Internet today, Michael. And at one point you admitted to watching Rocky in the theaters Three times. Yeah, I when did. It came no, out. I did. I like the film. I like the film, and I, I don't. I mind, do too. I don't mind that scene. What the hell do you have a problem with the doo-wop scene, Josh? What, <laughs> what exactly? What, to, Greg's, to Greg's point, I think you know. I see all of the things it's doing, the work it's doing for the screenplay, and he's absolutely right. What what he's pointing out there. But Adam and I did agree on one thing here is that Rocky brought a lot of the film, brought a lot of realism to its setting. And and just as I was like getting seeped in that, you know, dark, grungy cinematography, the tight, cramped apartments, and I'm thinking, wow, this is this is more realistic than I remember. We turn that corner and we we get this group, which totally pulled me out of that world. So it kind of did the what what it did for Greg, it kind of pulled me out of it as I'm thinking, oh. Of course, this, you know, here's where we get something that's kind of doing this work a little obviously and a little bizarrely. But but I emailed Greg back and and I'm I don't know if he knows, but I'm curious. 
I may be wrong. If like in late seventies, these sort of white doo-wop groups were on every Philly street corner, I will take it back. And Rocky is an amazing movie. I mean, right. I know it seems, <laughs> it just seems racially sort of egregious in, in some ways, just because the sound is not, but I don't know. That was a weird year. I, I Have you guys seen Network lately? Yeah. We just talked about it on the show. Yeah. We did it as part of our series. Okay. To me, that one, that's the one that looks like it doesn't hold up. Incredible. No. Oh, no. Totally holds no. up. Well, Michael, I think. I, I, Michael. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just cutting your mic here no, as no, we talk. For me. Please go on, because this will take the heat off me for Rocky. It's weird because I just, yeah. and, and I, that's another film like Rocky. I think I just saw everything, honestly, that year or sort of those years, early high school for me. I saw everything that, that worked for me three or four times. I saw Rocky four times. I saw Network probably three or four movies I hated I saw twice and so like you know the movies I didn't go to I still saw once so that's that's how the math works um <laughs> but network I I showed and maybe I'm just maybe my perception's a little skewed by showing it to a class a few years ago of you know undergrads and graduates and it worked for literally no one hmm. I, mean, I believe that uh no one it seemed heavy speechy stilted repetitive racist um, and this was not just the same type of student in, 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 you know, in triplicate, you know, over and over. It was like a, a wide variety of backgrounds, sensibilities, all of it. I don't know. I don't know. That film, well, I think Lumet wasn't the guy. He was not the guy to direct that. Next time you teach that class, you can show them the film and then play them our podcast. All right, I I'm will. sure I it will, will convert, convert all of them. I Michael. will. Well, I'll make sure it's a podcast <laughs> class, so they'll be good. They'll go in and just wait for that part of it. And it'll yeah, be good. yeah, love it. Okay. <laughs> Madness 2021 Best of the 80s did recently wrap up. Michael thought he missed it. No, we're still going to bring it up here on the show. It concluded with us naming the best film of the 80s, according to Film Spotting listeners. And Michael, the movie that took the title, Do the Right Thing. Ah, good. Good pick. Not bad, okay, right? So, so yeah. maybe we've won you over. Not bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that one holds up like a son of a gun. And do you feel, Michael, that this completely legitimizes Do the Right Thing, the fact that it won film Spotting Madness? I mean, now the argument is <laughs> over, I think, right? I think yeah. you're going to make that film. <laughs> that, that, that's going to make it. Yeah. Uh, what, what, came in, what came in right behind it? Well, coming in right behind Do the Right Thing, losing in the final, <laughs> a surprise to us was not Raiders of the Lost Ark, which got bounced in the final four. Rightly so. It okay. was a movie I think you talked about on the show with us, Michael. Hmm. At one point, a Sacred Cow review, hmm. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining <sighs> was the runner-up to hmm. Film Spotting Madness. It it surprised us, too. I mean, I, I love the movie, yeah. and I thought it would go far, but I really didn't think it would come down to do the right thing. And The Shining, The Shining actually beating out Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull to hmm. go to the final. Where did Blue Velvet come in? David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Oh, man. I may never forgive our listeners. Did Blue Velvet make it out of the first round? I think <sighs> oh, maybe. Lost in round two. I think it lost it's, in round two, yeah, Michael. it certainly didn't go further than round two. Yeah. To John Carpenter's The Thing. Maybe while you while you talk about that, Michael, I can look it up and confirm. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm not a great revisitor of movies that had a huge impact on me. I mean, there's movies I love seeing and re-seeing and re-seeing. But, but as a rule, with, with things that, you know, kind of made an impact on me in my 20s, I don't. I don't feel a need. I'm a little bit. A little bit of trepidatious about like revisiting Blue Velvet. Having just you don't want to ruin the experience in a way, or, or risk ruining it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, there's a lot that I. I don't. 
go back to out of idle curiosity to see if it's held up because I just I just assume that it may not for me, you know, and, and yeah. it's not really the movie's fault necessarily, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I know it, it, to me having to just fight, you know, I staggered out of a racer head as a, as a college kid, I'd never seen anything like it. And then to see something like blue velvet a few years later, it's kind of turned my head around in a different way. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, man, oh man. Yeah. Love it. Well, blue velvet did have a good showing in madness beat Josh's revered, a Nightmare on Elm Street, the mm. suburban horror showdown in round one, pretty handily, 76% to 24%. And then it did lose to John Carpenter's The Thing, a movie I actually quite like, but not nearly as much as I like Blue Velvet. But it was close. It lost 51% to 49%. Wow. So listeners pretty torn on that one. We did have a couple of loose ends we wanted to tie up before we moved on. One of those loose ends was hearing from the godfather of film spotting madness, the listener from Dover, New Hampshire, who first suggested five, six years ago that we embark on all this insanity. He is Mike Merrigan. Hi, Adam, Josh, Sam, and film spotting nation. Uh, this is the first madness tournament where I honestly had no idea what the, the pulse of film spotting nation was going to be going in. I didn't know if it was going to be a nostalgia fest full of empires striking back and, and lost arcs being raided. Uh, would we would we take ourselves very seriously with Raging Bull and Amadeus? Or maybe would films like The Thing and Terminator finally get a fair shot and their due respect in the Madness Tournament? I really had no idea. And uh, given that, and based on previous Madness Tournaments, I opted to hitch my wagon to the Coen brothers, and, well, it turns out this tournament was a rocky place where my bracket could find no purchase. Uh, I, I may have had an almost impressively distant fourth place finish in our bracket challenge, but I regret nothing. I'm simply uh, in, inspired by the fact that a horror film found its way into the final. Uh, this is Spinal Tap came within two points of the final four, and Josh can finally, finally sample the sweet, sweet taste of not last place. Also, does this mean that I get a guest host spot for the next Sandler film? Because I am ready for that. And, and it makes my crushing defeat almost worth it. Thanks, guys. Another great tournament, and I can't wait to do it again next year. You have to love our listeners. Mike, even though he lost, and we're going to get to the standings here in a second, boy, did he lose <laughs> our, our bracket challenge. Coming in pretty close to the bottom overall out of the 812 brackets that were submitted. He can't wait, Josh, to potentially come on the show serve his penance publicly <laughs> and talk about the Adam Sandler movie that will inevitably show up on Netflix this fall. That is his punishment. He will have to watch that for losing madness. No prizes, Michael, for winning madness, only punishment for losing, mm. but maybe he'll get to come on the show. I love it. I, I mean, and I, I don't only love it because usually that's me. That's a duty I have right. to perform. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great idea. Okay. Andy Hampton from Madison, Wisconsin is the listener who won it all. He takes home the film spotting prize pack, correctly predicted, do the right thing to win it all. And we had another great listener suggestion here. Our listeners are full of them. Ethan Johnson from Fergus Falls, Minnesota said, in addition to the prize pack, how about the listener who wins Madness every year gets to then participate in the special show only bracket challenge so with me mm. with you josh with sam with mike merrigan 
Andy Hampton's going to join us next year. Can you guess why I also love this? Yes, I do, because he now will fight for the right to suffer and watch an Adam Sandler movie instead of you. You got it. So it's a good play for you. Oh, great ideas all around. (laughs) Andy finished with 176 points. Second place was Luke Bazzetto. He's from Sydney, Australia. 174, right behind. He wrote to us that, yeah, he's been listening for about five years, recently became a Patreon family member. Thank you, Luke, for that. And then how about this? A guy we all know fairly well. Michael, you met him at our 500th show, came out from L.A. for that celebration here in Chicago at the Music Box, and then you've seen him on a few different trivia spotting events we've been holding monthly. Longtime listener, friend of the show, Brett Merriman. Oh, yeah. He was third. Nice. Finished third. Wow. And he, he is so proud of himself. 172 <laughs> points. Seriously, that's great. So, that's great. Yeah. Well done, Brett. The final standings for us. Sam wins. Finished 37th place. Mm. Again, out of 812, pretty Impressive. good. Impressive. I finished 196th. Josh, 231st. I love it. And poor Mike Merrigan, 618th. I love that more. That that does mean that 200 listeners almost did do worse than him, but yeah. we, won't, we won't mention those names here <laughs> on this episode anyway. We did mention it at the top of the show, but worth mentioning here again, the shortlist for next year's Madness, we are going to do the best of the 70s, is available right now. You can start doing your homework for next February and March. Right now, 133 titles on the list. Again, probably going to grow. And you can find a link for that and everything else Madness related at filmspotting.net slash madness. We've had family members, Josh, who got an early peek at that list. We've now had other listeners see it on Letterboxd, go to our website, look at the list, share their comments, and share the percentage of those 133 movies that they have seen. And we have a pretty good variants here. Andrew McGee, a listener wrote in, said, I've seen 73% of them. And I was born in 73. Feels poetic somehow. And then you have listeners like Dakota Arsenault. Dakota, I'm sorry, but you did post it publicly on Letterboxd. You said, oof, a lowly 31%. That is pathetic. I would say most most listeners, Josh, are are between 31 and 73%, but there's some outliers who've actually seen over 90% of the movies. Yeah, There's I'm, other outliers who've seen about 19 of them. I'm not going to comment because I, my guess is that I'm I'm not quite at Andrew's level of 73%. Hmm. I think I had 34 blind spots out of the 133. I'm not going to do the math on what that percentage comes out to, but yeah, it's 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 not great. It's certainly not 90%. I, I do know math well enough to say that. Michael, you're not on Letterboxd. We need to get you there, so we we can't see your percentage. Well, I like to keep my percentages private. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for a different format that is completely uh-huh. my own and not visible or shareable. So okay. that's... Uh, He's got, got a little. It. He's got a little notebook by his bed that and he the keeps opinion, these things in. The great in. thing is the opinions are all retractable on my site, so, so you can just you know, yeah. say, no, I didn't mean it. Didn't mean it. So, you know what? Not to put you on the spot too much here, Michael, but just off the top of your head, if you were going to think about the best films of the 1970s, either your favorite or the movie that you thought was likeliest to win, what's the one title? that maybe comes to mind, that you think has the best shot 
at it all. What should be the number one seed? At is winning. It, at winning. Not necessarily yeah, maybe would vote for. Jaws? Nah, is it, I, the guy said the first Godfather people seem to have the most affection for oh, still yeah. now. Although the second one's much better, I think. But uh, I love them both. But the second one's great, I think. Uh, okay. Jaws, good pick. Uh I mean, Star Wars. If you if you get if yeah. the Star Wars Star Wars contingent kind of weighs in there, you know, it's just such a fascinating decade. But th- those would be the ones that come to mind. Yeah, I think myself, Josh, and our producer Sam all agreed more or less that the top five seeds would be some order of the two Godfather movies, Star Wars, Jaws, and actually probably another Coppola movie, Apocalypse. Apocalypse Now. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we we do have a big decision to make that we have not made, but we have some time, which is, do we let The Godfather and The Godfather 2 both be part of the tournament? Oh. Because of course they have to be, Michael, if you're considering yeah. the, the best films of the 70s, but also, man, they're just going to run away with it. I suppose they are. I mean, in this case, it wouldn't break my heart. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do I do think the second one is, I've said it before, but I, I, it's a sort of substantially greater achievement as as a triumph of american commercial mainstream filmmaking that's that damn good i mean you know and i think it just it's more morally troubling as it as it should be with those characters the first one still looks like kind of a good time to be a gangster second Hmm. one kind of gives you the cost of it but somehow the, the movie's not a downer it's just like a more mature movie you know i think you know, it gets further yeah. away from the source material of the of Puzo's novel, which you know is was junk, but highly filmable. <laughs> Apparently, so we go to a plug now for our sister podcast, The Next Picture Show, part one of their "Revenge Is a Dish Best Served Twice" pairing. Love the titles Genevieve Kosky comes up with the new "Nobody" with Bob Odenkirk and 1999's "The Limey," the Steven Soderbergh movie starring Terrence Stamp. Josh. Yeah, is I want to find out if Michael has seen Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk film. No, no, and I, I I'd like to. I think uh, you know I like him. I like him. I've heard good things, and Debbie, you know, as we're getting closer to being back in theaters and going to see theaters, she was asking me. She's like, "This this looks kind of good. Maybe we should go check this out." So I I don't know. Might have to go do that. Does that mean Debbie's a huge John Wick fan? Um, she likes the action films. Very excited about. This year's Fast and Furious, which I know mm. the trailer is out now, so maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I never miss a Helen Mirren uh, Fast and Furious movie, so <laughs> yeah, Nor there's a you. plus for you. Yeah. Next picture show hosts are Tasha Robinson, Keith Phipps, Scott Tobias, and Genevieve Kosky. New episodes of the Next Picture Show post every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get more info at nextpictureshow.net. One way you can support our show is to join the Film Spotting family over on Patreon. A mere $5 a month gets you ad-free episodes. It gets you early show downloads, monthly bonus episodes. We did last month share a little preview of Film Spotting Madness 2022, the tournament we were just discussing. We talked about our blind spots, the movies we thought would be the top seeds for the best of the 70s. And we think April's episode, we're going to give family members a chance to vote. We're probably going to pick the three biggest blind spots for myself and you, Josh, and give listeners the chance to vote. Of course, they can see right through that, and they know that we're really just trying to sneak in our homework. Oh, of and course. And force ourselves to see some of these movies. Do you think these will, will these, all the choices have to be ones 
neither of us have seen, or could it be one that is like a blind spot? Or because I I have a target that I'm really hoping. Well, I can get to with this. I'd love to hear that target. I would hope, or it was my hope and expectation that we would find three that neither of us had seen. But depending on how good your title is, maybe. We can make an exception. What is it? It's well, I mean, yeah, that's the way to go to really to call this a blind spotting review. But I don't think you'll mind watching the conversation again. Speaking of Coppola, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't because it's been a long time. And I'm afraid that if and when it makes the list of 64, I might be inclined to vote against it just because it's not it's not fresh enough in my mind. And Mm. I don't want to let that happen because I do love that movie. So the conversation might just go on the list, Josh. All right. Good pick. We also offer our family members chances to be part of our monthly trivia spotting events. Uh, This weekend's trivia spotting, it's the ninth edition. I know what you did last trivia spotting, and it's already sold out, as every event has been. This is an all-90s edition. I don't know what that means for Adam and I, if we're going to do better than we have before or flame out spectacularly live in front of everyone, as we tend to do in these things, but we'll see. And Michael, are you joining? You've been a part of a number of these. Are you able to no, do this he, one or not? You know, he he was hoping it was an all 30s edition, but when we said it was 90s, he backed out. <laughs> He's holding out, huh? Well, when I found out it wasn't the 1890s, I, you know, I was a little, <laughs> you know, the Meliers. Uh, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. I just I I dare uh, Quizmaster Thomas Todd to just to, to to you know do a 70s or a 30s or an 1890s show <laughs> and and confine himself to only seven Marvel related questions. <laughs> He'd find a way, wouldn't he, to sneak him on the 1890s edition? I'd give I'd give Thomas a fighting chance there. Michael, not a part of this month's trivia spotting, but we know. You will be back. We can't keep you away for long. So look forward to May. We'll have another great batch of returning captains and hopefully some first timers as well. You can sign up for all that fun at patreon.com slash film spotting. Well, Adam, it's time for the return of the segment that I put as much work into as you and Sam put into film spotted madness. We put Uh it on hiatus during the tournament, but it is time for the return of Massacre Theater. Of course, this is the part of the show where we perform a scene and you get a chance at winning a film spotting t-shirt. Yeah, I think you spent the entire day doing vocal warm-ups. Pretty much. Yeah, this is why I do so badly at at film spotting madness. I don't turn my attention to that. I take take acting classes while the Uh rest of you are playing your game. Okay, well, let's see if it pays off. I think your dialogue is beautiful. I really do. I love it. Then why the hell don't you just stand still and say it instead of wandering all over the stage? You're supposed to be looking for your soul, not an ashtray. Well, Massacre Theater making a triumphant return? Maybe. (laughs) A special scene picked just because of our guest, Michael Phillips. When you have a man of his prodigious talents, you have to put them to use. This may set a record for... Shortest massacre theater scene ever. It also may set a record for fewest entries ever. Maybe one or two listeners are going to get this one. That's what I'm going to say, Michael. Do you think I'm crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. Well, let's give it a shot. Josh, we don't have a lot of work here to do. Your vocal warmups, I'm not sure they're going to pay off, but... No, no, not here. I... I think if we want to give more clues, because yes, this is a movie the three of us just admitted none of us have seen. <laughs> it's it's a bit older, let's say. But okay. you mentioned we picked it for Michael. I think 
listeners within, even if they join us within the last year about or so, will know why we picked this for Michael. It's also tied into the theme of this show. Let's okay, say. so you're just putting it on a platter. You're just trying well, to put it on a platter. No, I'm just, I'm just helping. I know, I know, it hurts your feelings when we don't get a right. lot of entries. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to boost that for you. Okay, and and I also have faith in Michael's performance. I think once, once he gets going, it's me, gonna me, like me, the me, actor me, is me, gonna me, ring me. a bell. Me, 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 me. <laughs> okay, okay I'm going to start it off, Josh. Why don't you give us the action? And action. This here's a big country. Yeah, but. It ain't big enough for cattlemen and homesteaders, and it never will be. Now, clear out of here. All right, Bean. We're going back to build our fences. If you do, you better build coffins along with them. And (laughs) scene. What about that pause, huh? Oh, dramatic improvisation. Thank you. I love it. Really dramatic. I don't know, though, Michael. I did detect... A little Wicked Witch of the West in there, maybe? <laughs> I'm not sure that's what you were going for. Uh, that might be, uh, that's, it's possible. It's always on my mind. Well, if you know what film we just massacred that does not star the Wicked Witch of the West, email the movie's title along with your name and location to feedback at filmspotting.net. The deadline is Monday, April 26th. The winner will be selected randomly from all the correct entries and announced in a couple of weeks. Success is the best revenge. Success is the best revenge. You're going to show them that they can't treat human life this way. Success is the best revenge. Just hang in there because when you get them home, they're going to pay, they're going to pay, they're going to pay. We get back into our Oscar extravaganza with that clip from the Oscar-nominated documentary, Time, directed by Garrett Bradley. Time was a film, Adam, we reviewed back in the fall. It was a Golden Brick nominee, actually. And right now, it's currently streaming for free on Prime Video and YouTube. That was a one-week availability that began on April 12th, so you might have a chance to still catch it that way. Now, Adam, you managed to catch up with all five Oscar-nominated doc features. Along with time, the other nominees are The Mole Agent, Collective, and My Octopus Teacher, as well as Crip Camp. How do they fare as a group? Well, all five are worth seeing. I think the one that's the most infuriating is probably Collective. It's the movie about the investigative work done by a reporting team in the wake of a nightclub fire in Romania in 2015. And it does make kind of an interesting shift about halfway through where it goes from being about the reporting into that widespread corruption and fraud, and then actually takes a look at the new health minister and follows him as he tries to correct all that corruption and fraud. And it's not something I anticipated, a turn the movie taking and you watch a guy who seems to be genuinely in earnest trying to affect change and coming up against all the barriers that would actually allow that to happen. So very good movie. Crip Camp is probably the most conventional of the five, but still provided an education for me on the disability rights movement in the 70s, but also the 80s. And Seems to be, unfortunately, still kind of an ongoing battle. There was a lot I didn't know before I watched Crip Camp about that struggle. And then there's the movie that we talked about here recently on the show, part of our Oscars homework. We both recommended the one that made us all want our own octopus friend. (laughs) 
Why can't I have an octopus friend that I go visit every day for a year? Pretty you'd special have to swim creature. In very cold water. Adam. Oh That's man! Why? I mean, yeah that that explanation of what the temperature of uh-huh. that water is, and yet you know your body just gets used to it. Sure, he says. No, no, your body does not get used to it. Mine never will. But that movie, My Octopus Teacher again, is one that we were both pretty high on. The Mole Agent, less so for me, but goes for something pretty pretty wild and experimental. It's part chronicle of everyday life and loneliness in a Chilean nursing home mixed with a spy movie. And it's, it's very deliberate about making that spy movie connection. Obviously, the title, The Mole Agent there, too, plays with some of those conventions as we see an 83-year-old man try to be that spy, go undercover in this nursing home. Again, kind of mixed results for me. But the best of them all combines scenes of the best elements of all the other movies we've mentioned. I think it is time, Josh, as you said, a Golden Brick finalist. It's exposing injustice like Crip Camp and like Collective. It's a movie that follows Fox Richardson as she fights for the release of her husband, Rob, who was involved in an armed robbery and sentenced to a 60-year prison sentence. And it's really about that family heartache as she's raising their sons and trying to get him out of prison. It's experimental, like the mole agent in a way, and that it's it's even hard to describe, right, Josh? This kind of nonlinear collage of, mm-hmm. of pain. And it's new footage, but mixed with 100 hours of home movie footage that Fox Richardson shot over 18 years. And... You just kind of float along in this this purgatory with these characters that is really sad and heartbreaking at times, but also joyful, too. I mean, what more can you say? It 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 feels like life watching watching time. How about you, Michael? Is there one among these titles that stands out to you? I've, I've, I, this is an embarrassing admission, but I've, I've to date to date, I've only seen two of the five and I really like them both. I really like time. And I just recently saw, this week, saw Collective and was really knocked out by it. I thought that it's just a great, essential movie about the necessity of investigative journalism. Um, and and it's just that those directors have a long future, not just in the new Romanian cinema, but I think cinema in general. So I, I, I can't wait to see what they do next. Well, and I would say if you were going to start with a couple of them, maybe too ambitious to see all five. I'd start with time and I'd go to collective next. And for me, probably my octopus teacher would be third in that order for best documentary feature. We're going to get back to our Oscar predictions here as we look at the final two categories, best director and best picture for best director. The nominees are Thomas Vinterberg, another round. David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Michael, who do you think is going to win it? Okay, Chloe Zhao is going to win. And Chloe Zhao, I think, should win, mainly because she made The Rider, uh, which is a true masterwork and the best Western made in the last, well, in this new century. I think no Man Land is very fine, short of a masterwork for some reasons we already talked about on the show. But, but you know, it'll be a great historical moment just because it'll be the second, finally, the second female director to win and the first uh, woman of color to, to receive the best director Academy Award uh, about damn time. You know, in terms of the egregious omission, 
I'd drop emerald fennel uh, and bring in uh, any number of folks, but certainly Kitty Green for the assistant uh, or Regina King for one night in Miami. Those are that's yeah. just two of many. Yeah, I I love all the assistant love, Michael. That's one that certainly has been overlooked by the Academy in a lot of categories. I'm with you on who will win. I do think it's Chloe Zhao. I do, you know, there is a chance. I, I I'm now falling into this cynic, <laughs> this cynic role, but I do see a way that the three times nominated but has never won Fincher pulls this one oh, out. No, it depends. No, no, well, no. it depends what happens with Mank. I mean, it's look at how many nominations the movie overall has gotten. Now, I'm going to predict it's Zhao though, and and that's who it should be. No one is doing exactly what she is doing right now. These fictionalized lens on the ground docu stories that with non-professional actors, you know, and and she's just doing it incredibly well. So, I hope that that my prediction does come true there. As far as who should have been nominated, you know, Steve McQueen is not in the running because Small Axe uh, has been considered television for for a lot of awards purposes. So if I can't have McQueen, I'm going to go with Kelly Reichert. First Cow, it's just her at her very perceptive period drama best. And as you could probably guess, I, you know, I would probably take out Fincher and put her in stead, not because I think Mank is poorly directed at all. All of his prodigious talent is on display there. Uh, just maybe a little bit of sort of the Hollywood movie about Hollywood fatigue setting in in general, and uh, would rather see someone like Reichert getting that recognition. I totally forgot For me, about Kelly Reichert. Totally. What an idiot. Yes, absolutely. Well, that was uh, It was one of the top five pictures for me. And I have, I have yeah. kind of like left small acts off the table, just kind of, even though... <laughs> Lovers Rock, uh, you know, among among the five was the best single hour of, of film I saw last year. But I, I don't know. It's been so kind of discounted as movie qualifying versus television qualifying that I've certainly kind of, for the Oscars, it's yeah, not even yeah, in the yeah. running. So, All right. yeah, I'm with you guys. I think Zhao is going to win. And this is a tough one for me, because in terms of who should win, I would love for Chloe Zhao to win the Oscar for reasons that you stated, Michael, Josh as well, and also because of my just absolute adoration for the writer. Unfortunately, I love the writer so much more than Nomadland, and I know, Michael, you're just now going to turn against me because we're in lockstep on appreciating the writer more. But if I'm being totally honest, if I had to pick who should win just based on how I rank the movies... I'm pretty ambivalent about Nomadland, and my favorite film of those five is Mank. It is. And I think it might be fitting, let's say, for the Academy to, your point, Josh, to finally award Fincher. Wouldn't it be appropriate that this is the guy who made Zodiac and The Social Network and Fight Club mm-hmm. and Seven and Gone Girl, and he'd finally win for a movie that is... Well, not those movies, yeah, <laughs> you know, like nowhere near as good as those. That's films. why I'm saying it's on the table. There's there's an angle where that happens if you look at past Oscar tradition. Yeah. And so I guess I would be on some level disappointed, but also OK with it because I really do like Mank. Now, in terms of the egregious omission and what movie I'm kicking out or what director in this case I'm kicking out, I may earn the mantle as being more heartless than Josh, I hate Rocky Larson because I hey, hey, listen I'd, to the misinformation I'd, already. <laughs> oh, I, I I heard your review, Josh. I mean, it was pretty harsh. I would kick out Lee Isaac Chung, the the contrivances of 
Will Patton's character in Minari, the the catastrophe that occurs right on cue, the the metaphor even of the Minari. It's just, well, as I quoted Wesley Morris a few weeks ago here on the show, it's just all very Sundance 1997. And it didn't work for me the way it worked for so many other people. What I would sub in is one of the titles that you guys already mentioned, whether it's eligible or not. I mean, the two best films of the year were made by Steve McQueen and Kelly Reichert. So take your pick. I wish they were in here instead. Alas, maybe maybe one day McQueen will be back and Kelly Reichert will get that Oscar nomination. Somehow, I don't think she's going to be chasing it. I too mean, much. I'd love to turn against you, Adam, but I can't with that kind of logic. That's that's uh, you're on the money. I mean, you know. Okay. Yeah. Let's go then to our final category. Our choices, our predictions for best picture. We have eight nominees: The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari. Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. What movie takes home the Oscar for Best Picture, Michael? Probably Nomadland. Probably should. Hmm. I guess I would probably just perversely kind of go with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah just because it's the one I want to see the second time the, the quickest. I mean, I haven't seen it hmm. a second time. It's a good list, mostly. So it's not It's not like this pandemic has just destroyed quality control or something at the Oscars, which is always out of control. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'd say for the egregious omission, I would definitely punt, on the other hand, Promising Young Woman or Mank. A Mank, a film I admire and am curious to see a second time, but I, it truly is a mediocre script. And that, that is an insurmountable obstacle to it being a better film, I think. Uh, but I'd bring I I dump one of those two, especially promising young woman, and bring in first cow, uh, the whole of small acts, or if you really had to, just lovers rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put your your finger on it for me with Mank too, Michael, which is why I did want to defend Fincher as director, even though I was taking him out of that group. I, I just that's that's the irony. It's a movie about a screenplay, and the screenplay is the thing I had the most issue with. So I, I'm with you on that. At the same time, I, you guys can probably guess being the cynic the oscar cynic who i think is going to win sorkin it's it's best picture is going to be mank oh okay. and i think oh no no i think i hate to interrupt i hate to interrupt josh go ahead even though i, sh- I shouldn't but i think actually if you're looking at a spoiler in this story i think trial of the chicago seven has a better shot at at a semi upset okay than than, well, than mank well, and we're both picking similar pictures to be spoiler. And and the reason I'm guessing this is because if there's going to be a backlash among some voters to the diversity of this year's nomination slate, and that's not even really just in terms of race and gender, but genre too, I think it's going to show up either in Trial of the Chicago 7, as you're suggesting, Michael, or, or in Mank. And the reason I went with Mank is just that it has the most nominations and it's the most Hollywood. And you just look at Oscar ceremonies past, and that's where they tend to go. So so I think, you know, I'd love to see it be Nomadland. Um, I think it's going to be Mank. Here's who I think it should be. Even more than Nomadland, I would say Sound of Metal. And it is just the most airtight picture of the bunch. This is a movie that knows exactly what it wants to do. And spends every single moment doing that very, very well. It's it's just expertly controlled. Uh, and so when I look at this group of nominees, I've mentioned before on the show, you know, this isn't a slate that I feel 
extremely strongly about. Sound of Metal is the one I had ranked most highly in my, you know, top 25 or so of the year, but it wasn't in the top 10. None of these are in my top 10. So I don't have a lot of passion for this list, even though I admire a lot of these movies. And I do think Sound of Metal is the most airtight one. So that brings me to who should have been nominated. We've talked about Lover's Rock. So of course, that's not really in play here. I think Soul Pixar Soul deserves a spot among the real, quote-unquote, real Best Picture nominees. And then, as you mentioned, Michael, First Cow. First Cow was never going to happen. I mean, that's that's just, this was maybe a year where it could, where everything is kind of topsy-turvy and smaller movies got a little bit more attention because bigger movies got off the schedule. If it wasn't going to happen this year, it's never going to happen. Uh, it should have happened. Uh, so I would move in probably First Cow and, and take out Trial to Chicago 7. This is the one that I struggled with the most. And as I said, I think it was just watching it uh, after I watched Mangrove, the Small Axe McQueen film, and and seeing how Mangrove was was wrenching and Trial to Chicago 7 was entertaining. And they're both tackling very similar subjects. And as much as I admired the finesse that Sorkin brings to the material, I also... S- it made me suspicious that, that it should be that finessed and it should be that slick and it should be that entertaining. And that's just kind of the conflict I have over trial to Chicago seven. So I'd take that out if I were going to slip in first cow. It has the opposite problem. I think trial to Chicago seven, which is entertaining, you know, of its type. Right. And there's plenty of actors. I think actors all over Hollywood voting members of the Academy love it because it, they look at, it's just like the way they watched Crash back when Paul Haggis won. Uh, you know, they can look at 15, 20, 25 different roles and say, I would have loved to play that, you know. But it's got the opposite problem, I think, uh, as Mank, in that Sorkin, you know, in his style, wrote it well and couldn't direct it nearly as well as it needed to be. And that's mm. the opposite of what's going on with Mank. Who will win my pick? Again, don't have a lot of support for it, but I think it's going to be Nomadland. I will say about it because I mentioned earlier that I'm ambivalent on the film overall. For me, it's that neorealist, non-professional actor approach that still relies on Francis McDormand and David Strathern that I, I don't think was probably the right choice. And I think there's overall for me with Nomadland, there is, and I know I'm in the minority on this, there's a there's a hollowness to it that I certainly did not feel with the writer. And I think that there's such an emphasis on the the visuals, the the landscapes that I think is also true for the writer, but I, I feel completely differently about it here, Michael. And I think you actually made a comment maybe on a trivia spotting when we were talking about this movie at one point and the Oscar nominations. And I think you described it something like a, a, a tourist experience with, with Nomadland, or, or there was some context where that came up and it resonated with me because it feels to me like the gorgeous cinematography has to do too much heavy lifting in Nomadland. It's like it's it's trying to deliver the poetry that the narrative itself can't. I agree. That's my sense of Nomadland. I agree. I mean, it's just uh, it's a very good film with a lot of beauty and some truth in it. And, and I, the writer felt to me like a perfect, almost a perfect admixture of beauty and truth. And and it's I think if if it were a little tougher minded, if you just got a little 
you know, the, the, the emphasis this week is on the controversy about whether or not its portrayal of the McDormand character's time as a seasonal worker at, at an Amazon fulfillment center in Nevada. Is it truthful? Does it give mm-hmm. Amazon a break just because they allowed access to film in there? You know, these are interesting questions, but um, the whole movie has a bit of a soft edge. Uh, you know, the, the Amazon depiction is just, you know, part of. Um, at the same time, I think... Chloe Zhao's not making a polemic, you know. So it's uh, mm-hmm. I'm conflicted about that response. Hey, I need a, I need another look at it, frankly. But I, I, yeah. I, you know, beautiful in many ways, maybe beautiful in, in a couple wrong ways. I think Adam, if, I think I actually wrote about it as sort of described it as a tourist experience, and and what I was referring to there is how we get these blips of these characters that we meet and then we move on to the next and then we move on to the next and we move on to the next, um, which is why I kind of described it that way. But but I think the reason that um, doesn't always work is related to the other thing you mentioned, and it's McDormand, who's very good in the movie, but you're always aware that it's Francis McDormand. And there's just, yeah. there's kind of, the movie's never able to bridge that gap as naturalistic as she is and as good as the non-professional actors are in sharing their stories. It can't quite bridge that gap in the way that the writer never had to because everyone involved was coming from the same place. Now, it sounds like I still like Nomadland quite a bit more than both of you, um, but I do recognize that McDormand's presence throws out the alchemy that Zhao is after uh, Mm. in a little different way. Again, really, really strong film that is maybe suffering a bit with some of us by comparing it to the writer. That could well, be. I feel I'm, I'm probably guilty as charged. Yeah, I probably am as well. The movie I think should win is Sound of Metal. The film for me, I mentioned, gives me one of the best scenes of the year. Gives me, as we've already touched on, one of the best, if not the best, supporting actor performance of the year. One of the best lead actor performances of the year. Well-deserved nominations for Achievement in Sound. Very clearly, the sound design is such a strength of this film in terms of it being a truly immersive viewing experience. I think well-deserved nominations for original screenplay and editing as well. All factors in terms of the craft to it winning our Golden Brick Award this year. And this is the first time, and who knows, maybe it'll be the last time such a crazy year that a movie that we champion as the overlooked film of the year also gets a Best Picture nomination, right? Yeah. But it it won pretty decisively in terms of all the people who vote for the Golden Brick. That includes the three of us. It also includes our listeners. And, oh yeah, it also has maybe the best ending of the year. And in terms of a movie that had maybe the worst ending of the year, it's it's enough for me to make it the movie I want to kick out of the best picture race. It's it's that terribly false moment that happens at the end of the trial as Sorkin envisions it anyway, not in real life as I understand it, the trial of the Chicago 7. That that ending alone was enough to undo a lot of the goodwill that movie had built up with me for how entertaining it was as you guys have both said. Trial of the Chicago 7 goes and I wish I had another more surprising pick to throw in here, but it's First Cow or it's Lover's Rock. All the way. Would be, All the way. You know, yeah. the best films of the year, the best achievements of the year in cinema that unfortunately the Academy didn't or couldn't recognize. Well, and you know what you said about Sound of Metal being an unlikely best picture nominee. I think that's this year allowed it to move in, you know, where there was space where uh, I had hoped something like First Cow could maybe get in there too. But it did allow for something like 
uh, Sound of Metal, and maybe, who knows, maybe also something like Nomadland. I mean, that's that's not a likely Oscar nominee either. So uh, very encouraging to see that. Minari, I think in some of the ways you described, Adam, is is more conventional, more affirming uh, in ways that Oscar voters like. But yeah, good to see Sound of Metal and Nomadland in this bunch. Well, we did it. Michael and I and Josh, not that you're opposed to it, we'll all be rooting for Paul Racy on Oscar night. I think first and foremost, what's the one for you, Josh? I mean, I don't I don't know that your guy, Keith Stanfield, really has a shot. So in terms of people who have a shot, what's one that's going to make you feel best if they walk home with the statue? I think Zhao, because, you know, this is just I know she has she's got a Marvel movie coming up. Right. I think that's already um, been Mm -hmm. completed. So she doesn't necessarily need the career boost, but there's something about getting this award, best director, that will give her the freedom to do the next step, which for me is go beyond Marvel. Okay, we've we've talked about how in ways there's an affirmation and it gives them power. And we, we don't mind seeing these creative directors being handed a Marvel franchise. We'd rather that if we're going to have to watch the movie, we'd rather it be in their hands. But we also lament, right, that, oh, are they going to be stuck there? Are they going to be in the Marvel ghetto then? I think if Chloe Zhao wins Best Director, she can direct her Marvel movie and it gives her enough clout to then make the next rider the next nomad land, the next songs my brothers taught me, which was her debut, which is also quite interesting. And so I think that's what I'm going to be rooting for just to kind of give her that power. It's so crazy to think of Chloe Zhao on a Marvel movie. It's it's as likely as Terrence Malick doing, you know, Captain Wheat or so, you know, I don't know what he would do in the Marvel. (laughs) I think we, I think we've seen that one. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't all of his films, Captain Captain Wheat? Wheat. (laughs) Well played. Well played. Josh beyond Marvel the title of Michael Phillips' biography as well. (laughs) We look forward to that on bookshelves someday. And we look forward to having Michael Phillips back on the show someday. Always a treat when you come on. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Did you guys hit record or do we have to do it again? Oh, no. Don't joke. (laughs) Don't joke. Just gave me a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, where can our listeners find your work? If they must. If they must seek it out, it's it's, it's still, uh, against all the odds, it's chicagotribune.com slash movies. And on Twitter, you know, it's at Phillips Tribune because I like to attach my name with bolts to my mm. to my employer. Smart. I think that's very, very smart. And listeners who maybe saw your tweets, we didn't get into it here. I didn't want to give you a forum, Michael, for for the venom you were going to spew. Listeners who've maybe seen your tweets, your animosity towards... An Oscar nominee, another round. Yeah. They can direct that to you on Twitter. Yeah, if they want to waste their time <laughs> on a minor film from an overrated director and, you know, a very good a very good actor. I don't know if you realize it, but Mads Mikkelsen's a very Mads, good actor. But yeah, Mads. Pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, no, the film, uh, uh, pathetic number of nominations considering the competition. So yeah, other than that, I, I, I really wish it well. <laughs> okay, I just I just wanted to tee you up for a parting shot on your way out the door, Michael. Thank there you, you so much. Thanks, guys. It was fun. That's our show, Josh. Indeed it is. If you want to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, Adam is at FilmSpotting. I'm at Larson on Film. In the show archives at FilmSpotting.net, you can find reviews, interviews, and top fives going back to 2005. And that's where you can vote in the Film Spotting poll. We're asking which 2021 Best Picture nominee would get your vote. 
To order show t-shirts or other merch, visit filmspotting.net slash shop, and you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at filmspotting.net slash newsletter. Next week on Film Spotting, we'll discuss Together Together in theaters on April 23rd and The Lady from Shanghai, the next film up in our 40s noir marathon. Film Spotting is produced by Golden Joe Dassault and Sam Van Halgren. Without Sam and Golden Joe, this show wouldn't go. Our production assistant is Kat Sullivan. Thanks also to Candace Griffiths and the listeners of the Film Spotting Advisory Board. And special thanks to everyone at WBEZ Chicago. More information is available at WBEZ.org. For Film Spotting, I'm Josh Larson. And I'm Adam Kempinar. Thanks for listening. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Film Spotting is listener supported. Join the Film Spotting family at filmspottingfamily.com and get access to ad free episodes, monthly bonus shows, our weekly newsletter, and for the first time, all in one place, the entire Film Spotting archive going back to 2005. That's at filmspottingfamily.com.